You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Our passage this morning is from Genesis 11, 27 through 12, 9. And this is the lineage of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. And Haran died in the lifetime of Terah his father in the land of his birth, Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took themselves wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Malchah, daughter of Haran, and the father of Malchah and the father of Ishka. And Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, the wife of his son Abram, and he set out with them from Ur of the Chaldees towards the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your land and your birthplace and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and those who damn you I will curse, and all the clans of the earth through you shall be blessed." And Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went forth with him, Abram being 75 years old when he left Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew, and all the goods they had gotten and the folk they had bought in Haran, and they set out on the way to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram crossed through the land to the site of Shechem, to the Terabith of Morah. The Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. And he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he pulled up his stakes from there for the high country east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel to the west and I to the east. And he built there an altar to the Lord, and he invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed onward by stages to the Negeb. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Yes, it's very good to be here with everybody. Thank you uh, for inviting me to share some reflections on Scripture this morning. Um, as uh, Pastor Tim said, we are in the in the throes of of moving uh, north to Milwaukee. So our home is filled with boxes. Um, it's. Uh, you know, separated by millennia from Abram's big move, but maybe there are analogies to grasp. And what I hope to unpack this morning is that there are, there's a link, there's an analogy to all of us. All of us are called constantly in different ways to respond to God's call. That is who we are as, as Christians, is constant response to what God is calling us to. Every one of us is called upon many times a day. Um, many times a week, maybe even many times an hour. Think of all the ways in which you respond to others. You get a work email. 
with suggestions or comments on your work. Your kid asks you for a cookie. Your spouse asks you to reach something on the top shelf, not infrequent in our home. A friend just happens to be walking across the park at the same time as you, and he, and he or she calls your name from, from across the park. You're called upon. And how do we respond? Well, we respond in different ways. The email might really bug you. So you delay replying, or maybe uh, you reply too quickly in frustration. Or your kid already had a cookie, so they need to wait until dinner. Or you might respond with a yes. Yes, I will reach that bowl on the top shelf. Or, hey, nice to see you on this beautiful day. Fancy meeting you here. In other words, our lives are filled with being called upon and responding. We are this rhythm of call and response. These examples are all fairly specific, though, right? They kind of take place in a particular moment. But there are bigger, more consequential examples, too. Think about being offered a job. Maybe one for which you have to move to a new city. Or someone asks you to marry them. Or the very first cry of a newborn, asking not for something necessarily specific, but for a whole life of being loved, being affirmed, being cared for. Or in the case of our EBF church, we're hearing a call to move from the MIC to a new building. Responding to these calls in our life is not just a turning of the head or a typing of some words into an email, though it involves those things many times over. Instead, it involves a holistic response of our whole selves. Yes, I will move my life and my family for this job. Yes, I will commit my life to you as long as we live. Yes, I will take this small child into my arms and show them a good world filled with love, a love deeper than all sadness or disappointment that they will encounter. So I think that the story of Abram, who God later renames Abraham in Genesis 17, this story that we read this morning can help us understand these dynamics of responding to a call. Our passage from Genesis 12 is the opening of Abram's narrative which also sets the stage for the whole story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, which in turn prepares the world for the coming of Jesus, our Savior. What is so important about Abram is how personal this relationship is between him and God. Through faith, we too can enjoy this personal intimacy with God. The Apostle Paul famously makes this point in Romans 4, where he writes, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Paul knows the God of Abraham to be the giver of all life, the creator of all things. The opening chapters of Genesis recount how God is the creator of all things. God's creation is good. Indeed, it is very good, Genesis 1 says. But God as creator is not only universal. God is also personal and intimate, immeasurably close to us. We know this through the intimate presence of Jesus among us. God personally among us in the flesh. And just as God is personal, 
so too does God address us as persons, as personal. God doesn't just know you as one instance or one example of humanity. God knows you and loves you and calls you personally, uniquely, in your particularity, with all the specific things that make you who you are. This is exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, who created all things, relates personally to Abram, calls him forth into a promise. In Genesis 11, Abram is initially introduced within a long genealogical sequence that started from Noah. He just seems to be one other name among other names. But instead of just being another human being in a long series, Abram is singled out, personally called out. There is no one like Abram. He is uniquely called by God and called not because he has stood out from others by being an especially good person. God does not call him because he is unique, sort of self, a self-created uniqueness, but he is unique in God's call to him. It is God's creative love that makes us who we are. Before we respond to any specific call to be this or that, to be married, to be a parent, to be single, to take this or that job, before any of these specific things, God has already called you in a unique way in your whole person. Your whole life is a response to this call. Think about how it feels to be you. What is that experience? You have an utterly unique perspective on the world. No one else can experience what you experience, can see what you see, hear what you hear, know what you know, love the way you love, and so on. You are absolutely irreplaceable. No one could step in and say, hey, I think I'll be Ethan now, and well, maybe I'll do a better job of it too. But what is this uniqueness exactly? And I think what this story shows us and what the Christian faith teaches is that this uniqueness that you are, that is God's call on your life. This might sound a little strange, but you simply are God's unique and personal call to you. There simply is no Abram without God's call on him and Abram's response in faith. It is not as if you are first independent and self-sufficient, isolated and on your own. Every moment of your life, God has created you and calls you into his service. God did not only create some of the world, God created the entirety of the world. And similarly, God does not only make a call on some part of your life, but he makes a call upon all of it. And that is because, again, you simply are who God has called you to be. That is the definition of who you are, God's unique call, God's unique summons to you. Of course, we are certainly sinful creatures, constantly departing from this call, choosing our way over God's. But even in our sin, we are still God's creatures, still responsive. We are always responding, but we so often respond imperfectly, sinfully. We close ourselves off from God's call and God's promise. The unique perspective you have on the world, the unique gifts and talents that you have, none of this is simply your own that God later asks for. Rather, everything about you is already given by God and called forth by God. We might even say that who you are as a unique person is your unique desire for God. 
your desire to know and be known by God in your particular personal way, which nobody else can access, nobody else can share in. What is the first thing God says to Abram in Genesis 12? Go forth from your land and your birthplace and your father's house to the land I will show you. What does this mean? Well, first it means that God's call is a dynamic call. God wants us to move, to be alive, to be mobile. God calls us to move toward him, to live in his promise and his faithfulness. Who you are as a unique person should not stay static, unchanging, unmoving. Only God is the unchanging, unmovable one. We only find stability in clinging to him, not to ourselves. Here God lists three things that Abram is called to leave behind. Land, birthplace, and his father's house. This is not to say that these things are inherently evil, but God does not want us to remain in one place, whether literally or spiritually. He calls us to faith in his promise, to be willing to leave behind what we know and what we're comfortable with, to strike out with faith and hope that God is calling us beyond our current condition to something greater than we can currently imagine. Jesus himself talks in this way too, when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is an echo of God's call on Abram. Deny yourself. We are each absolutely unique and irreplaceable. But our uniqueness is not something we are called to keep to ourselves. Think about how Jesus lived his life in a perfect rhythm of prayer and service, retreating on the one hand to a quiet place to be with the Father, and then reaching out, healing diseases, casting out demons, teaching, bringing wholeness and healing. The Son's divine intimacy with the Father in the power of the Spirit is not a purely private affair, but it overflowed in Jesus' life into healing and restoring relationships with others. Jesus himself perfectly embodies this journey of self-denial on his way to the cross and beyond the cross to abundant resurrection life. There are echoes here of Paul's instructions to love and humility in Philippians 2, in imitation of Christ's perfect self-offering to the Father and to others. God's call upon Abram opens out onto a promise of blessing. Abram's descendants will be a great nation. Abram will be blessed and is blessed to be a blessing in turn. Again, what this means is that God's call upon Abram is not purely private. It's not pure individualism, even though it is absolutely unique and personal. This unique personal call opens out to a universal perspective. We see this now in the expansiveness of the church, the body of Christ made up of every nation. But the specificity, your uniqueness, the uniqueness of Abram, is never left behind, never exhausted, never done away with. This is even more true of Jesus, the Word of God incarnate. God always acts universally through particularity, through personal intimacy and fellowship. There is no universality, there's no community without the small and the local, God's particular concern for each unique person. This is again perfected and elevated in Christ. Jesus was not a universal savior, if we mean universal, 
in the way that Caesar was the universal emperor, or the universal ruler of the Roman Empire, or universal in the way that maybe we see political figures as having broad or perhaps universal power. No, Jesus is the savior of the world through his absolutely unique and personal presence. Humble and lowly, Jesus was no political power, but rather a specific person. But as the eternal son of God, this particularity has opened out to include people of every nation and every tongue. The theologian William Kavanaugh writes, writes this. He says, God's salvation of the whole world contrasts with the way that revolutionaries want to change the world. Revolutionaries are short on time. They must use violence to move the inert masses to act. But God, on the other hand, wants to work a radical change without eliminating that personal freedom that God has bestowed upon us. So salvation is allowed to work itself out through history. God begins in a small, local way with one people in one place. And he goes on, there must be a place visible, tangible, where the salvation of the world can begin. That is where the world becomes what, is, what it is supposed to be according to God's plan. Everyone must have the opportunity to come and see. All must have the chance to behold and test this new thing. Then they can allow themselves to be drawn into the history of salvation that God is creating, starting from their own intimate personal encounter with God and into the body of Christ. Only in that way can their freedom be preserved. What drives them to this new thing cannot be force, cannot, not even moral pressure, but only the fascination of a world that is changed. End quote. Jesus is that particular, visible, tangible person through whom salvation has come and is available to all. Abram and the Jewish people were the forerunners of this particularity. And in Christ, this particularity and specificity is perfected. And through him, particularity is not something that is exclusive. Particularity is not something that keeps us fenced off from other people. Rather, Christ is the gospel. It's something that can be communicated, good news that can be shared from your personal encounter with him. The good news of God's infinite love for us, it can be communicated to all and to which all people can come for refreshment, renewal, and hope. The particularity of Christ, the specific man, Jesus of Nazareth, this is also Christ's universality available to all people. We encounter the universal scope of Jesus' work in and through the church, the gathered body. In being bound to him, the church transcends any divisions that would keep us apart. We are bound together by his work, by his presence among us in the Holy Spirit. This unity is tangibly available to us in, the presence, in his presence at the Lord's communion table. When we are taken up out of our private individual lives and become part of the body, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we become part of his body, taken up into his work of redeeming creation. We are each uniquely called but that calling is into a called community, a community that is called out, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. 
The church is not a community that swallows up individuals into a bland uniformity. Everyone is united in Christ, but diverse in gifts and in unique callings, as Paul describes the unity of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. Not only is Jesus the absolutely unique place where God begins to work, Jesus also saw this unique singularity in every person he met. He met and addressed people as unique, as uniquely loved by God in a particular way. And through the eternal love Jesus receives from the Father, he loves those who the Father gives to him. Abram, too, was blessed to be a blessing. As it says, all the clans of the earth through you shall be blessed. The unique call God places upon his life, Abram's life, opens up to a community and to a mission of that ecclesial community. So, to sum up, God has called us as unique individuals. That is who we are. Our very being is a response to God's call. Jesus Christ, as the eternal Son of God, is the eternal and perfect response to this call from the Father. And we are invited by him to join into this response. Jesus tells us to pray as he prays, our Father, who art in heaven. And further, our particularity is not self-enclosed, but opens out, opens out into the church, to mission, the mission of the church in the world, where we see and affirm and celebrate the unique individuality of others, just as Christ did. And within God's call on the whole of our lives, God also calls us to particular things. Remember both the smaller and larger callings I mentioned earlier. We are called in our daily lives to respond to others. And we are sometimes called to a big change. Catherine and I are responding right now to a call to move to Milwaukee. Many of you are also undergoing big changes. Maybe you are moving too or finding a new job. Maybe you're new to Evanston. Maybe this is your new transition and you're new to EBF and trying to live into a new phase of life. Maybe you are leaving home for the first time. Or maybe you are a parent helping a son or daughter move on to a new school or to college. And for our church as a whole, we are preparing for a big change. Moving from our longtime location here at the MIC to Emmanuel United Methodist Church. There is a new calling upon the life of this community, which comes with excitement, but perhaps also feelings of loss and grief. We can only respond to these new, fresh, challenging phases of life. We can only respond to them because, first of all, we are always responding to God's call. We only exist by God's gracious gift, gracious call of creation and redemption. These specific changes in our life, the life of our church, these are housed within a broader calling, within the fact that who we are is always a response to Christ's call to take up our cross and follow him. And as Abram shows, faith is the proper response. There are later stories where Abram, still in faith, talks with God, personally engages with God. But in this first moment of Abram's story in Genesis 12, he simply responds in faith. In faith, he leaves his land, his birthplace, his father's house. The text immediately follows God's summons with Abram's obedience. He went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. 
No mention is made of Abram's personal experience here. But when we reflect on changes in our own lives, I think we can agree there is often fear, sadness, and grief. The passing of time always provides ample opportunity for faith and trust through these difficult emotions. But this is faith. In faith, we give all things up to God, even very good things. Catherine and I are experiencing this right now as you grieve the loss of this town, this place, this EBF church community. But there is always a further journey. Again, the life of faith is not static, but dynamic. God's call and God's promise is never exhausted. Our response to God in this life is never complete. Paul suggests this famously in Philippians 3, where he writes, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Abram is an example of this stretching on, this, the father of dynamic, courageous faith. Grief and loss are real, and these are always invitations to faith. And Abram's response is precisely that faith. As the text says, he went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. When the Lord appears again, pardon me, when the Lord appears again promising the land of Canaan to Abram's descendants, Abram's response is worship. He builds an altar to the Lord. In response to God's call and God's promise, Abram offers himself in praise, worship, and obedience. And we should note that God's promise comes in the face of adversity. God promises the land to Abram immediately after we read in verse 7 that the Canaanite was then in the land. So there's an earthly obstacle to this promise. But no earthly obstacles are barriers to God's promise. We might think also of God's promise to give children to barren women. In Genesis 11, which we read from, one of the first distinguishing features of Abram and Sarai is they have no children. The promise of God's faithfulness pulls us through times of barrenness and struggle, and our faith is a response of trust to his faithfulness. And so, as changes come in life, my prayer is that we can turn our grief and loss, our leaving behind, our birthplace, our father's house, our land, we can turn these griefs into an offering to God. This is not at all to deny the reality of loss in our response to God's call. Instead, it is an invitation to follow Jesus in offering our lives to God through the most grievous of losses. We will all follow Jesus to death. But in our baptism, we are already living out that death and so also alive with resurrection life. The small losses we encounter in life are leading us to the ultimate loss of life itself in our death. But even this most ultimate loss, which we will all face, is not an end but a new beginning 
As Paul uh, intimates in Romans chapter 6, where he writes, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And similarly, as Colossians 3 powerfully says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Death itself, whether the small deaths of specific losses or our very literal death that we all will face, neither of these are ultimate barriers to living out God's call to us and upon us. Indeed, they are not barriers, but opportunities. Just as Abram went forth from his land, his birthplace, and his father's house, we too will go forth from this life and into life eternal. And this eternal life is already present, living in you personally, uniquely, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can already begin to live out our resurrection life, for we have, in a mysterious way, already died and so also are already alive with Christ. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, in seasons of change and transition, grant us the courage and faith to cling to your promise and to follow the way of Jesus. We praise you and thank you for the unique gift of ourselves. Help us to be properly rooted in self-love and self-acceptance, and also in the love and acceptance of other people made in your image and likeness. Let this EBF body be a place of belonging and challenge as we seek to live out the difficult task of communal living. Help us to deepen our Christian faith in and through our relations with each other. Give us the faith of Abraham that we too may be blessed to be a blessing. Give us faith in your promise of a good future. Bind us together at your table, where we find ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.